time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active-duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together together again. again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. This is Sean, one of your hosts, and today I'm without Rich Uncle Chris, but I'm joined by uh, the effervescent Scott Thorson. Big Sarge is back with us. Uh, like I said, if you listened to the last oh, episode, wow. you know he's back from his medical hiatus. Um, he uh, he went <laughs> like to one of those. described as effervescent. That's yeah, yeah. You went like to Alka one of those, Seltzer. Like those in, in Battle Creek, Michigan. You went to one of those like <laughs> health spas back from the early salt nineteen twenties, right? And uh you were with the, the Kellogg cave. family and they were injecting <laughs> yogurt into your body in really weird places, but you're all good to go. But one of the reasons that we're back here today <laughs> is I'm really, intro. Excited, right, really excited about this is we've brought back Bob Scales. We're calling it Bobby Stats on our show because he is killing it. <laughs> With the stats. I mean, if you're a cop and you listen to this show and you're not, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say, if you're not really jacked about what he's talking about, this is good stuff and good things. Episode 64 was the uh, original where we brought him in. We talked about his background, his knowledge, and understanding some things that a lot of police agencies are seeing. And I don't think are going to necessarily go away anytime soon. And his company, Police uh, Strategies, is a data analysis company that's really busting wide out. And since our last episode with him, which was 64 again, um, you want to go check that out as the intro. This is a That was the first in a series of shows that we're doing. And it was really, really good listening. I'm going to be honest with you. It was really good listening because for once we weren't talking and somebody <laughs> with a lot of knowledge was, a lot of experience. And he put things in terms that are really, at times, rather complex and you know, people are like, oh, Snorefest, Ferguson. I'm like, no, dude, you got to listen to this. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback about that show. Um, Bob's going to talk to us about some of the follow-on things that we talked about with uh, data collection and why it's important for both civilians and the police to know that stuff. So, Bob, welcome back. I really appreciate you Hello. taking the time. I know some big things have happened. Why don't you share that with our audience a little bit about what's <laughs> going on? Sure. Well, well, thanks. As a result of being on your on your show previously, I've gotten some so, major contracts. <laughs> you were here first. That's right. Here. That's right. Well, one one three cops talk podcast, and, right. and it's changed yeah. my life. <laughs> that is a plug. There, right there. There's the clip for the show right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. So so yeah. So 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 most of what we do uh, is is use of force analysis and. And so we work right now. We're working with uh, uh, over 90 agencies in eight states, and and we collect and analyze and report on their use of force data. And since we last talked, uh, we just finalized uh, a contract with Dallas uh, PD uh, for your for your contract. Nice. And and um, they're they're uh, previously San Jose was our largest agency. Now Dallas is our largest agency. Um, and so we will be um, starting to collect and analyze their use of force reports uh, because we gather data directly from the reports and from the officer's narratives. And we extract up to 150 different data variables. And we really analyze 
how and why officers are using force, not just counting the number of times that force happens. And so, so we're able to give both the department and elected officials and the public a very comprehensive view about use of force practices in, in the city. Now, Dallas, second largest in the state of Texas? You know, I, mean, I don't I thought, know. I, I shouldn't I thought know that, Houston I was the biggest. I mean, I'm just, Houston's probably it's, bigger. It, it's a yeah. huge agency, though. I mean, there's a lot of Dallas goes out and recruits people nationally. So when you're talking about, I, at least in my estimation, when you're talking about uh, stats coming from Dallas, you're talking about a cross section of probably a lot of different type of officers, you know, folks that were from Texas, people that are from outside of Texas coming in there to be officers. And, and, and I know they, they, they used to come to Illinois and recruit people to come down there and work. So that, that it can't be lost on people outside of our profession, how big of a pickup that is and how this could have national like repercussions. And the fact is that an agency that size can start helping to set the standard with police strategies and that, Hey, this is how you do it. And this is how you get to the bottom of it, good or bad. And it's credibility because the minute you start, everybody knows, and Bob, correct me if I'm wrong. You start talking about data, people, oh, data can be manipulated. And that's where on this show, we're hoping that with some of the things that you've seen and some of the studies that you've already done, we hope we can talk about some of those. How do you dispel those myths for people in an issue that's been so highly politicized? Yeah, one of the great things about Dallas is that they really are a data-driven agency. And a lot of that comes from their new chief, Eddie Garcia, who came from mm-hmm. San Jose. And, and he is he, he, he wants data and he wants to understand what's going on. And, and one of the first things he did when he became chief was he, he worked with a, a, a researcher, Mike Smith, at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And they started a, a, a violent crime reduction strategy that was based on data and evidence. And not only are they implementing this this evidence-based strategy, but they're evaluating it along the way. Um, And so they're, you know, the department's able to say, look, we we implemented these strategies, these strategies work, these strategies weren't so effective, but the net result is that while violent crime and homicides are going up in many parts of the country, they're going down in Dallas. Oh, really? Really? And, you know, and, and Dallas is a city that has, you know, for police officers, you know, there's one tragic incident where there's an individual that was, you know, completely violent against the police mm-hmm. and took several officers lives, you know, before his own was taken. There's a unique situation associated with that. It's a whole other show. It'd be great to get somebody from Dallas to talk about that, where they, I think it was the first use of a robot yep. in delivering deadly force. Right. And these are the kind of things like they, I, I kind of seen a lot, seen it all. Dallas is an agency that has been burdened with the reputation of what happened with John F. Kennedy when he was assassinated. There's a lot of things in Dallas that this is a huge progressive type move for them that a lot of the rest of us that do this work should be looking to that and saying, Hey, finally, some of these bigger agencies are on there. If you can kind of remind our listeners, Bob, about why is use of force data so maligned in the United States? What are some of the things that the ordinary citizen wouldn't know about? Like everybody thinks, well, the FBI reported on this. You know, I was, I was fascinated that, it's not even it's not even an issue that you have to report this. It's just it's voluntary compliance. Is that true? Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem, obviously, use of force is is a major national topic. And we had, you know, the the the, the George Floyd protests for an entire year. The mm-hmm. the 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 liability that 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 departments face from use of force, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I mean, mm-hmm. for Chicago PD alone pays out $50 million from lawsuits. And most of those are 
use of force cases. Right. Um, and not all of those cases are, you know, excessive or unnecessary force. And sometimes they pay, you know, they settle to avoid a trial and that kind of thing. But it is a huge source of liability for law enforcement agencies and, and the local governments. Um, and the biggest problem with the use of force is that nobody has any idea what's happening because we have literally no data. Um, so the FBI system is only tracking deadly force and serious bodily injury, which is about 1% of all the use of force that occurs every year. Um, only 60% of agencies are reporting the data. And even uh, if they reach their, their threshold of 60% or a little bit less than 60%, but they have to reach 60% in order to continue the program, even when they reach that 60%, they are never going to release comprehensive data to the public. So essentially, you're putting data into a black hole. And, and, and there's a lot of expectations about what this data set will, will provide, but under the FBI's own rules, they cannot release any data on any individual agency. So they can only release data on at a state level or a national level. Hmm. And so, and because not every agency is participating, we will never know, you know, if we have data from New Jersey, we don't, we won't know which agencies in New Jersey provided that data or what it means. So right. it, it, it's, it's almost worse than nothing. Um, right. yeah, because yeah, you, right, it's right. not something you can compare if you don't have every department everywhere doing exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have a comparison because you have, this agency has 300 officers. This agency has 10. And so, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah. So, so the, because we don't have data on use of force, we don't have any evidence-based policies or training when, when, when policymakers or police chiefs, you know, make decisions, they're not data-driven decisions. You know, they're, 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 they may be based on public opinion. They may be based on politics, uh, but they're not based on evidence. And so, so we have a lot of state legislators that after, after George Floyd, they started implementing police reform measures and, and whether it's banning neck restraints or in, in Washington state, they changed the legal standard for when officers can use force from reasonable suspicion to probable cause. So in Washington state for the last six months, an officer cannot use force against any individual unless they have probable cause to arrest them for a crime. That means essentially they can't do Terry stops uh, yeah, because they can't, right. st they can't, they you, can't stop somebody if they refuse yeah, you to can't, stop. You can't detain someone. Right? No, Which no. And, and also the, exactly. And the other big problem is that, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, for involuntary commitments. So for mental health reasons. So, so if, if, if uh, uh, an ambulance arrives or mental health workers arrive and somebody needs to be involuntarily committed and they refuse to get in the ambulance, um, the, they, they call the police and they say, you know, can you help us get this guy in the gurney and so forth? Right. And, and there are some agencies now that refuse to respond to those calls because they cannot lawfully use force unless that person is committing a crime. Right. Wow. Wow. So, and, 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 and it's all based, it's all because there was no data that went into any of those legislative decisions. They were, they were, I don't know how they made those decisions, but, you know, we know that there are lobbyists on both sides of the issue and, mm -hmm. and, and the legislators decided, well, we'll raise the standard. Why not? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, it's safe to say that a lot of it came from, you know, the talk quickly, you know, 
shifted to the racial disparities and the fact that the police interact with people of color, particularly African-Americans, more than anything else. And and again, at the time, based upon what happened with Chauvin and Floyd, it was, you know, it was it was a hot button issue. And a lot of it could be maybe emotional. When I used to track data, I used to say to people, you're getting mad at me because I'm kind of pointing out that this group of officers is maybe not performing as well in this task as anyone else. And I'd say, it's not a matter of opinion. It's just, here's what it is. Here's how I looked at it. Here's how it was uh, you know, encapsulated. And people would get highly upset with the data that I would present because it would actually show them in a light that they didn't want to be. And some people were surprised, like, hey, I didn't think we would be doing that well if you were to listen to what other officers were saying or whatever based on my age or gender or whatever it was. So you could see where some of this emotion comes into play. How does what you do with police strategies kind of drive that down or can it drive it down or is it just something of a reality that you all deal with when you're presenting data like do you sit in the boardroom and go oh yeah this is going to definitely be a high button issue that people were not expecting to see yeah because there is no data on use of force people's opinions so law enforcement opinion of use of force is based on their own training and experience right, right so they right, have right, one yeah. idea about use of force you guys know that you know what kind of incidents involve use of force and you also know as a law enforcement professional use of force is a critical part of your job if you could mm-hmm. not use force against a resisting or fleeing suspect you could not do your job Right, and, right. and once everybody figures out, if, if you can't use force, you know, nobody's going to stop for the police. Everybody's going to run right. away and, and right. there's yeah. nothing right. you can do. So you understand that because that's part of your job. The, the many elected officials um, or members of the public or the media will, will form their opinion based on these high profile incidents um, and, and where and there are there are you know as we know there are officers who 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 commit crimes. I mean, Derek Chauvin was convicted convicted of murder, right. and so 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 if you if you form your opinion about police use of force based on these extremely bad incidents that that do happen but are extremely rare, and you say, well, we don't we don't want officers to use any force. Many people believe that any use of force is bad. And so, so the more you can drive down uses of force, anything you can do to reduce the number of uses of force is a good thing. And a lot of people believe that. Um, and, and, but what happens is, is that it, 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 for example, if you change the standard from reasonable suspicion to probable cause, you will reduce the number of uses of force guaranteed because your officers are unable to make stops and arrests that they were before. Mm-hmm. And so the use of force will go down. So what's happened in Washington state is that that's what happened. That's what's happened since the legislation passed. Uses of force have gone way down. I mean, they've gone down for other reasons as well, like COVID and so forth, but, but that, that, that's definitely a factor. And so the, 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 the critics of the police are saying, are claiming victory, right? This is wonderful. This is a great thing that uses of force are going down, mm-hmm. but what they're ignoring is that why, why use of force is going down. And it's it's going down because officers are making fewer stops, fewer arrests, and and that means that that they are discovering, you know, if they're making fewer stops, they're discovering less criminal activity. Um, if they're unable to make an arrest uh, or or use force on somebody that they only have reasonable suspicion, but they don't have probable cause, that means that those people are are essentially getting away. Um, and so, so you're, you're in some areas, um, you know, criminal activity is going up. And, and if you're, if you're a person that's, that's 
committing crimes and you know that there is very low likelihood that you will be caught or prosecuted, then there is no deterrent effect anymore. Um, and, 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 you know, we sort of have this, this 2080 rule where, you know, 20% of the crime or 80% of the crime is committed by 20% of the individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, uh, you know, we saw this, you know, when I worked in Seattle in the prosecutor's offices, you had some very prolific, you know, car thieves who would steal hundreds of cars before they were caught. Um, and, 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 and so if you were able to, to catch and prosecute just a few of those guys, uh, then your, your, your car thefts would drop dramatically. Right. But, but if right. you're making it harder for police to make stops, to make arrests, um, then that is going to have an impact on the deterrence of, of criminal laws and enforcement. Yeah. And it, it, it emboldens people to commit criminal activity because people who commit criminal activity realize, Hey, the police, you know, they're not out there enforcing the laws is hard, or they're not stopping as many people. And then that word gets out and people commit more crimes. And, and, and I go ahead, Bob, I'm sorry. Well, and I've, I've heard some, some recent stories uh, uh, in different jurisdictions about how um, individuals, whether or not they're, they're committing crimes, but you know, the police don't have enough, uh, you know, uh, evidence to, to stop them and detain them. And, and the individuals know that, and they basically taunt the officers. I mean, they're just, and, and, and it's like, yeah, you can't touch me. <laughs> right. And, right. And again, that, that is, that is, that is tough for morale, you know, like, I mean, like you join this work, uh, contrary to popular, you know, let me say popular culture belief that the police are just going to this to oppress people. You come in because, and, and it sounds corny. I know. And it's funny. You know, the cops saying that, but you come into this work to try to make a difference and make a difference in our work is means I'm, taking the scary things and making them either go away or I'm taking them away myself, you know, and that's going to impact for a long time. And that's going to lead to other data that's presented that I wonder if it will be pursued with the same vigor and the same, you know, uh, you know, resolve that the media has a time to point out some of the things you had recently published an article about, um, you know, you can, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, Bob. So uh, I'm going to, uh, one of the ones I read was about how this media source presented this information and you literally blew up uh, LinkedIn with it. And I was like, Oh, I got to read this one. And it was a great one. So can you give us a synopsis of that? Like a, a little of that, you know, how a lot of people will go through and read things and go, yeah, well, whatever. And I, I really, was that, was that the mapping police violence one? Yes, or, sir. That's yeah, exactly yeah. it. And uh, I, I don't want to take any away from, you know, your, your ability to articulate that, but sure. You'll do it way better than I did. Well, the the and this goes into the to the absence of data because we have no official sources of use of force data, right? We have no. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some states like like New Jersey and New York and California that have started to build their own um, use of force uh, statewide databases, but they all they all have limitations and problems. But there's certainly no national source of data, and so because there is no official source of data the media and different advocacy groups have stepped into the void and said, well, we'll build our own databases. So it sort of started with, with the Washington Post. So they started collecting data, I think in 2015 or 2016, and they just did crowdsourcing. So they would scour the internet and they would get media reports. And sometimes they might do a public records request and they built their own database for media reports about incidents that involved uh, an officer involved shooting or death. And, and, um, and then other groups like Fatal Encounters and Mapping Police Violence that were advocacy groups, 
um, they they started saying, okay, well, we'll we'll take the the Washington Post data and then we'll do our own thing to it and we'll add more more cases. Um, and using the same methodology. So, so looking for public records and media reports. The big problem with, with any of these crowdsourced data collection methods is that they're literally getting information about an officer-involved shooting incident from the media. Right. And, and so, so how accurate are these media reports? So if, if, if the, and, and when, and because and, especially with an officer-involved shooting, do you take the media report that that uh, happened like within an hour of the incident and take that information, or do you wait like two or three days when there's more information and you take that report? And what happens if if it's wrong or it changes? You know right. what what happens if they say initially it was a black male, 22 years old, and it turns out to be a white male, 33 years old? Do you right. go back and I mean, and there's no quality control. There's no way to to know no way to know if, if anything they're collecting is accurate mm-hmm. um, or complete, or if there's missing information. And so, so the, 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 the post, the LinkedIn post that you're talking about, I, um, the, the Washington post and uh, mapping police violence, both published their, their numbers on officer involved uh, uh, shootings and deaths for 2021. According to the Washington post, uh, the the number of, of police killings in 2021 went down by 13 percent. So they they were something like 888 for 2021. Mm-hmm. According to mapping police violence, killings went up to like really 1034, 1134. But there was a huge spread. There was like a 28 percent spread between yeah, that's a lot. mapping police violence. And so so something is wrong because before that those those two databases tracked pretty closely. Um, and I don't know why that is, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time <laughs> trying Worrying to figure about, out right, yeah, right, you know, right, what, what's, right. what's going on here. Right. But of course, both the Washington Post and the Mapping Police Violence, all they have to do is put out a press release and they'll get lots of media attention, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody, yeah. and, and they are literally the only sources of national data on on de- uses of deadly force, which is crazy to think right, about. Yeah, right. I mean, th- I mean, they is are there anybody that's is, is there anybody that's coming back to them and saying, well, you know, is there anybody that's calling that out or saying, why is such a disparity between these two? I, I, I do. Bobby. <laughs> right. Bobby. Well, right, right, right. I mean, like, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, critics of the media or anything like that, or is that that's part of no, it, too? One, I mean, I just, here, I here's the here's the big problem. So. Academic researchers desperately want use of force data because that's their bread and butter. If they don't have data, they can't do any research. Right. Right. And the only sources of data for them for uses of deadly force at a national level are these crowdsourced databases. And so you have these, you know, legitimate academic researchers who are using this bad data to conduct research and so they're basically giving these databases much more credibility than is due. And, and there was there's one paper that was done about the mapping police violence database, and they basically did some a little quality analysis and they found a huge amount of errors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in terms of what the media reports actually said versus what the mapping police violence database said. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, but again, absent somebody spending, you know, days or weeks going through all their data and trying to match them up with all these reports, there's no way to, but even if it was, even if there was a match, we're still going from media reports and how right. accurate are those? Right. How yeah, accurate absolutely. is a reporter right. who's reporting on an officer of all shooting? Are they getting all the facts right? And, and, and we know that they won't have access to the incident reports. So there may be information that the police department's not releasing publicly. That's really critical to understanding that incident. Right. So it, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's really worse than nothing. I mean, it would be much better if, 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 because we're yeah. now, now I, I spend so much time arguing about, about, right. about, about, you know, it, it's like, you can't, you can't believe this. You can't believe what they're saying. You can't trust their numbers mm -hmm. right. and all of their conclusions are based on bad data. I mean, it, it, here's, here's just a perfect example. So mapping police violence came out with a statement and they said, um, officer, officer killings went up in, in, uh, in 2021. And based on their analysis, and I did air quotes there, based on their <laughs> analysis, a majority of those killings could have been avoided. Wait, 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 wait what? Yeah. How? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, right. It's just that, an that, open-ended that, statement. That was their, like, that it's was just their they could have been avoided. That was put in right, the press. Right. So, 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 so these folks who run mapping police violence, um, who, as far as I can tell, don't have any qualifications or law enforcement experience or academic experience. I, I don't know who they are or what they're doing, but according to their opinion is, is that half of the police killings in the United States in 2021 could have been avoided. That's all they said. And, 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 and people will accept that people look at that. And yeah. Go, that basically, basically what they're saying is, is that, is that, is that, you know, there are 500 police killings last year that were essentially unlawful or and, and avoidable which is a, obviously a huge number. If that was, if that was true, serious, serious problems with our law yeah, enforcement, right. Right. Training major, and, major, yeah, right, major. Right, right, right. I mean, that's, that's right. a catastrophic number. And it seems like it almost supports the ideas of some of these, just like these horrible negative stereotypes about how people try to redefine the police as what we are for this society, which happened a lot, you know, after the, the Floyd incident. And then you get data like this that's out there. It's like, that's like saying, you know, half of the passes that were thrown in football this year could have been caught. You know? <laughs> or, you know, let's base medical, let's make medical decisions based upon a bad foundation. Let's just go back to eugenics and say, that's what we'll base this all upon now. Like things that have been clearly disproven. And it's like, it's, I, I gotta be honest with you, Bob, at least from our side, the police side, it's amazing that no one prior to this, and maybe people have, and you can educate us on that process of no one's demanded this, like from the chief level from the, or has it, I mean, has the international associate chief of police said, we cannot continue to go on without having something like this. Well, is there something from our side of the house that maybe is holding that up? Yeah. When, when I, I mean, even when I worked, you know, I worked in the mayor's office in Seattle for a number of years, and then I worked in, in the police department and in the city attorney's office. And even when I was in the mayor's office, it was like pulling teeth to get any data out of the Seattle police department. They did not want to give up their data to anybody. And, 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 and they're not unique, right? Generally law enforcement agencies do not want to share their data. And, and I've heard of various arguments. And one argument is, is that unless you're law enforcement, you can't understand our data. You need, you need to be one of us in order to understand what our data means. And so 
they're willing to they're willing to give out reports with their own interpretation of the data, but they don't want to generally give out raw data um, for the public or researchers to look at. Mm-hmm. And that has come back to bite agencies in the butt because yeah. because if you're not willing to share information, somebody somebody's going to get it. Right. right. Public right. records requests or mapping mm-hmm. police violence, and they're going to analyze it and they're going to come up with their own conclusions. And then you're going to be left with nothing because right. you have well, no it's, way. It's perception. The perception, too, is that you're why aren't you giving it? Like, exactly. I mean, the whole what are you hiding? What are you yeah. hiding? Exactly. Right. And so it was like when I started when I started the, 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 the company and trying to go around, I did a lot of presentations. I went to a lot of you know regional chiefs meetings and, and national conferences and so forth and ICP. And I would do these presentations to you know, large groups and and, um, you know, let's say that if, if I had 100 chiefs in a room at the end of the presentation, one or two would be interested in in. And basically, I was saying, look, you got to collect data, you got to analyze your data and you got to report on your data. And I, I and it, it's a it was a very small percentage of chiefs that had any interest in doing that. And one mm-hmm. of the arguments was I already, especially for smaller agencies, the chiefs would say, I already know what's happening. I already know my officers. I already know what's going on in my department. I don't need some data system. I don't need some outside expert to tell me what's happening in my department. And 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 I'm like, well, you may know everything that's going on, but can you prove it? Right. Right. If somebody says you're just saying, take my word for it, take my word for it. I know what my officers are doing. Take my word for it. But if you had data, if you really know what's going on and you had data to back it up and you had an outside independent consultant to say, yes, this is this is accurate. Right. This is what is actually happening. You're going to have a lot more credibility. You're going to you're going to have a lot more trust with the community because they, they, they see that you have nothing to hide and you're willing to share everything. Um, I mean, and why, why should they hide? Why should departments hide any data on anything? What, what benefit does it give them to not share information? And, 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 and also in this day and age, it's so easy to get data if you want it from departments through public records requests. Right. Um, and, and FOIA then, changed everything in the United States. Yeah. And, and so, so if you don't do it, if you don't give up your data and you don't analyze it yourself, then somebody else will. And I guarantee you, they're not going to have the same opinion that you have of your data. Right. Right. People aren't digging for good news. I'm going to tell you that right now. I mean, <laughs> no, they're, they're, no. Nobody's going to say, oh, this is a great department. I've yeah, never yeah, seen such a great actually, data. Right. Just it's as so I good. suspected, everyone's fantastic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, when you look at this, Bob, when you were, when you were kind of coming up with the idea to do this, I mean, obviously, when you listen, go back to uh, episode 64, which is where we introduced Bob, folks, uh, you listen to like how he got it started. And, you know, I was, after listening to that show about three times since we've published it, because it's a, honestly, I'm not saying that it's just it is a shameless plug. But it is a good show. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I the, one of the things I thought of was like, you know, you always go like, where's, you know, best practices. They say to us, hey, you know, find your sister city that you have and see what they're doing. You know, a uh, benchmark city or whatever you would want to call that. And I'm thinking to myself, we're, you know, like a Western European based society with democracy and things like that. And there are other civilized nations that are you know, have professional police departments and things like that, whether it be nationally or whatever. Is there anywhere else in the world where people are doing this or is this just commonplace for law enforcement in general? Yeah, I, th- I think I think I mean, I'm, I'm not familiar with with a lot of different countries, but I think in general, um, 
you know, the United Kingdom, and part of it is because they're smaller, right? And mm, and, right. and and it's easier to sort of organize a, a data collection program like this. But I think the United Kingdom does a pretty good job. It's still limited. There's still so much more they could do, but at least they have some national data on their on their law enforcement practices. Um, and and um, and Canada, I think, does a little bit better job, and Australia does a little bit better job. Um, but but you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just think that like, if you, if you look at, uh, I mean, let, let's say, I mean, this whole, this whole comparative data, right. If you ever look at, Oh, what are the, what are the, 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 the 10 best cities to live in, in the United States? Okay. Mm-hmm. How, how would you make that determination? Well, data, right. You'd say, right. well, this has a higher crime rate. This has better employment rate, da, 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 da. Um, and 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 so, in order to make any judgments about about uh, the the quality of something, you have to have data. Otherwise, it's just your personal opinion, and it right. might be different than somebody right. else. So, right. one right. of the things I always hear, and 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 from 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 police chiefs is that we have the best department in the country. Our officers are better trained and better. It's like we are the we are the best. Rah rah rah. Right. And it's like well, okay, well, back it up, right? Based show me show me what? the data. Right, right. Why 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 do you think that? Right? Why right. are you better than this department over here? But I hear that all the time. And but there's with nothing to back it up, right? Other than and, their their opinion. And you and you talk about and we make these correlations a lot. Like the sports world for the longest times, it was just about the teams. It was just about that team, like the Green Bay Packers where this franchise team and then the Dallas Cowboys, and it, it can go on forever. Um, but the thing that pro football has done to make millions and millions of dollars and make maybe markets not that are not interesting, that, that can't win, that never win, things like that. They did all of this fantasy stuff. Fantasy football is strictly based upon statistics. So there's a huge appetite for it out there from people. Now, I know like there's a lot of TV shows that are clearly based upon bad data about police officers because <laughs> the things you see on those shows, you're like, yeah, you could sure. never do that. Right. But, right. I mean, there's factors like that, but it's, it's, it's entertainment. And the idea that I think to myself, like, why do you think it's never really caught on in the realm of something as important to us, like we watch a lot of cop movies, we, you know, are obsessed with cop and what cops do, you know, that kind of stuff. Like the only thing is worse is all those uh, medical dramas about Seattle. I'd say, what is it? Uh, <laughs> what is that medical show, Bob, about Seattle? Do you guys have to know that? Like, is there a viewing requirement? What is it? Uh, what was that one? It was like uh, I'm a, sorry. That, that, that's uh, outside of my area. Of expertise. <laughs> <laughs> why why no do you think there's really no appetite for that? Because like everything else that like matters, like the growth of fantasy football was crazy. The money that that generated for it legalized gambling in some places. That whole push of sports betting was based upon, from what I understand, a lot of it had to do with you know, fantasy football and like tracking players as opposed to teams. Why do we not have an appetite for that in law enforcement? You know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I, I know it's true, right. That we, we just don't have data. And, and one of the things that I oftentimes think about is the difference between um, law enforcement and medicine. Right. Right. We have so much data, medical data, on things mm-hmm. and and do do you know what the 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 third leading cause of death is in the United States? No, sir, I do not. I'm not even going to go out on that one. I'm right, I'm not even going to. I'm going on bad data, probably. Med- medical mistakes. There you go. Wow. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. And 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 so so 
And and do are are people talking about well, what about all these doctors that make mistakes that end up killing people? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 shouldn't we be looking at at issues like racial disparities in in that in, in, in medicine, deaths, right? Absolutely. In medicine, yeah. um, shouldn't we be looking at, at at training for 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 doctors and supervision and accountability? You know, mm-hmm. what, what happens, you know, every, every doctor has to be, you know, licensed and they have to have insurance and, 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 you know, who's, who's, you know, checking on all that. And th- there's, there's so much attention paid in policing where we have no data. And then, then there's medicine, which, you know, if you're talking about an average of a thousand deaths a year at law enforcement and 300,000 deaths for, <laughs> for, right. for medical mistakes, I mean, <laughs> right, it's right. just like, wh- why are we, we focusing on that? I mean, I understand that, that obviously it's different if you're, you know, I mean, medical, you're, you're, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a mistake and you're trying to help somebody, but literally the numbers are, you know, 300 times greater in terms of right, deaths. Yeah, right, and right. so the impact, whether, regardless of your motivations, you know, the impact is, is much, much greater. And, and yet we have all this data and information, uh, on, on medicine and medical treatment and hospitals and disease. Um, and, and in law enforcement, we 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 tend to focus all of the all of the data collection and analysis on crime, right? It's it's all yeah. you know. Everybody posts crime statistics. The FBI collects crime statistics and so forth, but no data is being collected on police departments, police officers, police activities, um, and 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 everything that is being done is is so unscientific right. uh, that 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 it ends up again, being, being worse than doing nothing at all. So Bob, like with the things that you're doing, the, the, the data analysis that you're doing for these agencies, do, do you get a lot of feedback on, you know, do these agencies turn around then and push out the stuff that you, that you look at to their communities to help, you know, combat the, like you said, just the opinion based data, are they pushing that out there to their communities and saying, Hey, look, here's our data. We've brought in this outside company who does a deep dive into this stuff. And, and here's what we're finding. Yeah. So, so because, because nobody can be forced to use our system and they have to pay to use our system uh, <laughs> and it, it's optional. So, right. so the, the, I, I, I would say that the, the agencies that are using our system are some of the mo- most progressive agencies in the country because they actually want to do this and, right. and voluntarily and spend money to do it. And so, yeah, so every chief that I'm working with, they want this data and they want to get it out and they want to discuss it with the community and with elected officials. And so, so, so they, they, but I don't think that they are representative of, of law enforcement in general. I mean, I have hmm. 90 agencies and there are 18,000 agencies in the country. So a teeny right. tiny right, yeah, uh, right. piece of the You'll pie. get there. You'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But it yeah. starts in <laughs> Dallas is a yeah. big ship there. there right, right, right. Well, no, it, the tide, the tide is definitely shifting. I mean, and, 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 you know, especially with, with a big agency like Dallas, I mean, people, you know, what I, what I found is that it, it's all word of mouth, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so you, when, when you want to change your policy, you want to know what the surrounding agencies are doing, right. Or do new right, training right, program, right, or you want right. to work, work together with your local, local agencies that, that, that you're always working with. And so, so it's all, it's pretty much word of mouth. And so once, once um, an agency starts really promoting, you know, their data, other agencies want to do it as well. And, and also they don't want to get left behind and look bad by not doing it. Right. I mean, right. And you saw that with other training people that listen to the show realize that like, Hey, uh, one agency is like, Hey, we're going to take on peer support. We're really going to start pushing this. We're really going to do that. There was various models of that throughout the country that people did, but now peer support's the big thing. And you go to these conferences and people go, Hey, you guys got a peer support team. People are like, what's that? And they look at you like, 
where, where are you Mayberry? Like, come on, let's go. Like, this is what's needed. (laughs) And the same thing could be said. The only thing I'd say this, I I think about data is that I think it needs to remain a third party an independent review because like everywhere else, and I'm not saying that this would be rampant, but you're getting bad news as a chief. You're going to go, I don't really like the guy that I've hired to do that. Can I get rid of him? Well, I think if you have a third party, like your business, Bob, that comes in and does that. Do you, I, I think that would be fair. I mean, like, you know, well, everybody, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like everybody swears to an oath, like I'll uphold the truth and things like that. But at a certain point, politics do come into play. And I think that if you can pressure the people that are working for you, if you're not liking the results, it might not give you, you know what I mean? Like it, it could camp that it could, yeah. you know, you would ignore things or, Hey, the boss is not feeling this. So, you know, don't do this, you know, and, and it's not going to be accurate. Yeah. I, I, I think you need both. I think you need an outside consultant who knows what they're doing, who can help you essentially design an effective data collection tool and analytical tool. Mm-hmm. But I think you also need to develop internal expertise mm-hmm. because I, I don't, when I work with a department, I don't know the officers. I don't know the, the command staff. You know, I don't work there. I don't know the community. I don't know the elected officials. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make as much use out of the data as somebody who who knows the, the local system can. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, if you have a, a lieutenant or a captain or whoever is looking at, at the data system, they're going to know all the officers. They're going to see things in the data that I could never see. And, and I'm, I'm always sort of... Um, uh, sort of critical of, of, of these consultants that come in and, and they look at a department and they review policies and they review training and they'll come up with 500 recommendations and they'll say, here's all the things you need to do to, to improve. And a lot of these are just cookie cutter, right? They'll recommend them in every jurisdiction. They don't, they don't know what more training they're they're not, they're not, if there was, (laughs) if there was a a perfect training policy, then every, or, or a perfect training program or perfect use of force policy, then everybody would be using it. Right. Right. And, 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 and it's just their opinion. And so why is their opinion of, of the department's policies and training any better than the department's or somebody else's? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what I want to do is, is to say, look, uh, we'll help you collect and analyze your data and we'll give you some really good reporting tools and analytical tools, but then you need to use them to make your own decisions. And, 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 and if you say, if you say, well, we don't like, you know, uh, we're we're unhappy that our we think our officers are using neck restraints too much, and and we'd rather have them use some other tactic, um, and and we can see which officers are using it, and 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 what the consequences are. I mean, that's your decision. That's not my decision to say what you should do with neck restraints. I I can tell you what's happening, but the decision making process shouldn't be external. Right. It should be internal. But- but they can look at this as an investment, right? I mean, you're making an investment in your agency. You're saying maybe you don't even have a problem. You just want to right. have you come in and look. We just want you to come through our agency and look at it overall and see. And maybe something does. Maybe you do identify something like, hey, we're we're noticing a lot of this. And maybe it's something yeah. that you deal with on the front, right? So it doesn't become a problem in the long run or something that maybe you know impacts the agency negatively or, or something like that. Yeah, and 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 we've had that situation happen where because we have these comparative dashboards because we're collecting use of force data in exactly the same way, 
um, from all these different agencies, they can start to make interagency comparisons. And there, and you know, so when we see when an agency sees like, wow, we're we're either way above average or way below average in this particular area, and why is that? And why is why are all these other agencies you know doing this and and we're not? And 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 one one example is is there was an agency who um, that that used um, a lot of physical force and they almost never used a taser and they were way below average on tasers, almost all physical force. And, and, but so, so we knew that was, was happening, but what we saw the consequence of that was that officers took longer to control subset suspects when they used force, because they were just using physical force. They weren't using any, any less lethal weapons. So mm-hmm. it was harder for officers to control subjects because maybe a weapon would have been a better technique in a particular situation and they weren't using it. They were using physical force and it was ending up. So we ended up, they ended up taking longer to control subjects with a higher injury rate to both officers and subjects. So when they saw that data, they were just like, well, uh, you know, why aren't officers using tasers? And, 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 there, and there, there was just a, I think in general, in the, in the last couple of years, there's, officers, as you know, have a reluctance to use force and they have a reluctance to use weapons um, because they don't, they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to end up in the headlines and they don't want to get sued and they don't want to have complaints. So, so there's some, there's some pulling back, but that has consequences too. If you're not, if you're not, you know, using your training and your skills, uh, you know, effectively, then that can be, that can be detrimental. Um, And so, 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 being able to understand that, okay, taser use is not good or bad, right? It, 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 it could be good in cer- certain circumstances right. and bad in other right. circumstances. Right. So you have to pick, you know, sometimes it's right. Sometimes you want to use a taser. Sometimes right. you don't. And, right. and, but you shouldn't say, oh, you know, I, I'm afraid of using a taser because I don't want anybody to get hurt or I don't want to get, you know, filmed on a camera or something. Right. It's like baby with the bathwater stuff. A lot of times I remember we, we would have these patterns and, and the thing that frustrated me was like, and maybe you can answer this question, Bob, like just from your experience, if you could like coach like a training unit or an agency on how often should you be looking at things, you know, cause you can, you can have the acute and the chronic, like there could be a lot of things happening just by circumstance and these are the bad or good that's going from it. And now we're going to base all of it because we had some success on it. And maybe that was over a six weeks period, you know, and they're, you know, they didn't turn in a high profile or they did or whatever, like, what is, how do you, how do you break that down for people that are participating in the process that you got? Yeah. So, so pretty much every, certainly every agency we're working with, and I think most agencies now, whenever officers use reportable force, there's going to be an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be, it might be just a sergeant coming out and taking pictures and interviewing people, or it might be much more involved depending on the level of force, but there's going to be some additional scrutiny of that use of force. And so typically what happens is whenever there's reportable force, they'll notify the sergeant, sergeant will come out to the scene and they'll start, you know, an investigation. Um, and so I, I, I would say, you know, 90 plus percent of, of all uses of force that are currently occurring are, are being investigated at some level internally by the department. Um, and so our, our system and our data collection, that do- doesn't replace that at all, right? That's a real-time analysis, and and mm-hmm. and less than one percent of all uses of force are found to be out of policy. A very small number, really. Um, and and so, but within the ninety-nine percent, there's a huge range and a huge variation in how and why officers use force. So the departments determine that all of these are within policy, 
but nobody's looking at, well, what's going on with all of this stuff? Because they're, they're only looking at individual incidents, mm-hmm. right? They're not looking at the big picture. So what mm-hmm. our, our system is, it does is it says, okay, we're going to collect data on the last five years, and we're going to update the data on a quarterly or annual basis. And, and you're going to be able to see trends and patterns, and you're going to be able to identify groupings of officers and say, wow, here's some officers that use physical force very effectively. Uh, here's a group of officers that are getting injured pretty much any time they use force. Um, and, and, and so you're going to be able to, to sort of categorize and almost do like a, like a personality test or use of force to like categorize here, here are the, the higher risk, lower risk officers. Here are the officers that tend to use more weapons. And here are the officers that, that tend to use more physical force or whatever it is. And, and, and then you can start to say, all right, well, what is it about these officers? Is it, is it training? Is it policy? Is it supervision? You know, uh, do we want them to behave differently? Um, even though everything they're doing is in policy, right? Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to discipline them or anything else, but right. we may want to tweak the system um, and, and, and in order to get, get a better outcome. So it's obviously to lay people, that means like for my job in training, that would have been great. Like a lot of times you're like, Hey, we're just training this thing that they want us to train because this is what, like we started the show with that, that emotion aspect of it or whatever. And that money could have been maybe better served in other areas that led to why someone took this and said, this was a racial issue. Or somebody said that this was, you know, the cops not being sympathetic to people with mental health related issues or, you know, what have you. So like, it's not just, to get information to the public to say, Hey, here's just, you know, to prove you right or wrong or the media right or wrong. It's also to provide input within the agency to say, you really need to focus more on and less on tools and more on tactics or more on tools than tactics. You know what I mean? Like, like defensive tactics or team tactics when you're setting up on somebody and L ambushes and all those crazy terms we like to use in training. But then you look at it and go, well, I'm basing this upon a gut. And, and a lot of trainers are out there doing it. Or what is the guy down the road doing? And the guy down the road also is basing it upon bad data. So you see the value in this, just in listening to this, I'm thinking from a training perspective, which is what I love. I'm like, man, we should be doing this. It should just be demanded by officers because it's, you know, uh, you know, we're going to keep playing the football that we play, even though this team has developed this new system that we don't know how to combat. It's like, you know, they used to say the teams that do, you know, the option really give really good college football teams at times fits because they never practice and prepare for that because they don't see them a whole lot. Well, you know, in the police world, we've got to prepare for everything, but there are some things I think more than others, probably Bob, that we should be better prepared for based upon not data from let's say another city, but what's going on within your city. Right. So it's very specific. I guess the long story short, there is it can be very specific to your agency and what you need and not on national trends. Yeah, it's so so one of the things that, that that's unique about our system is is that the, the the primary goal is to provide valuable information for the department. I mean, we have yes, we have the public facing dashboards and we have written reports that are done, but what we want is to say, look, you know, we want managers and officers themselves to be able to look at the data and learn something from it. And hopefully, if they need to improve, learn something to improve. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, some of the biggest supporters of our system are our police unions, 
because right. they're they're just right. like this this is great yeah. data yeah, right absolutely. we can we can right. really we can right. really improve right. you know by using this data and it provides a, an actual comprehensive and accurate picture of what's happening whereas every single other system that's out there any any state system whether it's New Jersey New York Ohio California the FBI system all of the data goes to a central repository and it's like a black hole and you never mm -hmm. see it again. And mm -hmm. then there'll be some state website that will have some dashboards and, but it's of zero value to the agency. So they're doing all this work to enter the data, make sure that it's, 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 it's sent to the agency and da, 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 and they get zero back. And, it, and it's right. just used to compare to another year down the road of, well, this is what happened that year. Okay. Well, yeah. again, not a real, I, I do like the part that you were talking about too, where you said, where you're talking about officers that you, it starts to show like, wow, this, you know, this officer, although he uses force, he uses it appropriately. You know what I mean? And the, 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 I like that part of it too, because we're saying like, okay, this is an officer that's doing things the right way. What is it that he does? What was his training? How has he come up through the agency that he's doing things well? We want other officers to to do that kind of stuff as well. You know, exemplify that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I want to. I, I think I did a rant on early warning systems last time, and I want to do it yeah, again. That's a good one. Um, because because I I I'm a, a huge critic of early warning systems or early intervention systems because basically they're using data for punitive purposes only. And it and it's unfair to do it because what we've found with 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 use of force because we're able to analyze our our goal is not to not to say you're bad you're good whatever it's to say look you know here's how you compare with everybody else and then you decide you know the department decides and officers decide oh that's good or bad but but you know we're not making that judgment call whereas early warning systems say if you meet these arbitrary triggers there's something wrong with you. And right. we got to take a closer look at you. And, right. and so, for example, for use of force, every, every early warning system that's out there has some uh, frequency trigger uh, that, that creates a red flag in the system. So, so let's say three uses of force in a six-month period. So every officer that has three uses of force in six months, it will be flagged by the system. Every time an officer is flagged, Right, they're, they're going. It's going to go to a supervisor, and there and there's going to be some kind of review process of that officer. Right. Yep. And 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 I've heard you know stories of officers who are called into their sergeant's office or captain's office, and they're told, "Look, you keep getting flagged for uses of force. Stop it. Stop doing that." Right. And and <laughs> right. it's just it's just like okay, well, the only way I can stop doing it is to make fewer arrests and fewer contacts. Right. That's the only way I can reduce my number of uses of force because you're not the the system isn't saying you're doing anything wrong. The system is just saying you're you have more uses of force than everybody else. And so so it it's a disincentive for officers. Every early warning system is a disincentive for officers to do their job. Because the right. more they right. do, the more likely right. it is they're going to be flagged by the system. And there is no early warning system that can predict future behavior. It's impossible. Right. Right. It's not a crystal ball. And yet that's what these systems claim to be able to do. And, and there's, no, there's no IT system that's going to tell a, a sergeant something that they didn't already know about the officers that they supervise. I mean, it's right. just, it's just not going to happen. And so... 
what our system has found, because we're looking at, at how and why officers use force, and we have different legal algorithms based on the Graham v. Connor, and we look at proportionality of force to res and resistance. What we've found is that officers that use force more frequently tend to use force more appropriately. And, and by that, yeah. I mean that they have better justification scores, they have lower force factor scores, so more proportional force to resistance. And we think that the reason for that is that the officers that are using force more frequently tend to have more experience, uh, better training, um, and, and they know what, the, 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 if you've never used your taser before in the field, if you've never done an armbar takedown, um, the first time you do it, you might not do it correctly and you might make a mistake and you might oh, hurt yeah. yourself or you might hurt the suspect. If you've right. done it many times in the past and you're comfortable doing it, you, you know your own abilities, you know how the either the less lethal tool works or, or different physical tactics work and you're, and you're confident and comfortable and you know when and how to do it, then you're going to be more effective and you're going to have a better outcome from that use right. of force. So it's the opposite from an early warning system. So all the, all the officers that are not being flagged by the early warning system are the ones that you should be the most concerned about. Right. Yeah. Cause when they finally do it, it's going to be from a lack of experience. And, and a lot of times we've talked about this in the past, and I show a lot of times it's fear. Like I've never done this. I'm on the world stage. I'm performing. Like people like say all the time, like I'd rather be dead than public speak. It's like, really? I mean, it's that bad for you. Yeah. I mean, but it's like that level of fear for some officers. Like I'm not, I'm not going to get involved. And that's not good for communities either, because no. uh, like we, like we said earlier, when you retreat from what you're doing out of fear of being that guy, and our agencies themselves make us that guy. Like, oh, you're the guy. Yeah, five use of force incidents. You know, they they got into this with canines as well. Like, they were doing like, uh, man, you had like four or five bites in a year. That oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. And no one, I was okay. Okay, uh, that's a lot. One compared to what? And then two, what were the circumstances that surrounded that? And then you took this very useful tool in a canine and grounded it because you were afraid that that was the case. I mean. You know, I've heard that story a thousand times and now it's making me second guess that. Now, I'm not a big proponent of having dogs going out there, biting everybody on every stop that we're on. But in the same sense, you look at this and you think to yourself, maybe some of this is the same thing for our four legged friends and their handlers, obviously. Um, the, the next big thing you see with this in the data realm, Bob, is what? Well, I, I think that the, the next stage, it, 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 nothing is going to happen at the national level. Um, uh, that, that seems clear. Um, we can't even get things going at the state level, but I think that the, it, it has to go at the state level. We can't, we as a company can't continue to, you know, there are 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the country. There's no way that I could, I could provide services to 18,000 agencies. It's just impossible. But right. at the state level, if you work at a state level, um, there, this kind of data collection and analytical tool can be developed and it could be very cost effective. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what we're doing in Washington state. So the, the legislature last year passed a bill that would create a statewide use of force data collection system for all uses of force, uh, including pointing of a firearm. It would include the internal dashboards for agencies, public dashboards, um, and, and it, a lot of it was based on our, on our system. Um, we, we sort of gave our, gave some suggestions during the legislative process. And so there's going to be, um, the attorney general and instead of the, the other big change is that most of the statewide data collection systems are run by the attorney general's office mm -hmm. of that state. Um, and they don't, 
they don't know what they're doing, right? Because they, right. they've never done this before. So they're just nope. making it up as they go along. But this particular program in Washington State has to be housed at a university in Washington State. So, so we're working with Seattle University uh, on a proposal, um, uh, and the RFP is going to be issued sometime uh, in April, I think. Um, and and so, so we'll be part of a consortium of universities and 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 public and private organizations. Um, but the entire program will be managed and housed at an academic institution um, that knows data. Uh, knows how to use data, collect data, <laughs> and, right, and, right. and and then and then we'll we'll be using our expertise to to provide those analytical tools for the agencies so that they can use the data that's collected as well. So they're actually going to get a direct benefit from participating in the program, um, and that that will instantly you know provide um, our system for 274 law enforcement agencies in Washington nice. State, and and it's all funded by the the state legislature. Oh, yeah. And, and like, good. and again, it goes back to that whole thing of where you get your information from, what you listen to, and you would point to Washington and people would go, oh, it's a mess out there. And when you really just dig down a little bit deeper, dig into the data, I guess to kind of use a term here, um, you're finding that a lot of good things are actually happening. People are talking to each other, people that were adversaries. We had that preview, those previous shows on um, with the FOP and community activists that came together. If you read only about what they did, you're only going to hear the negative if you go to this website or how it's universally working if you go to that website. And folks like Bob and his company of uh, police strategies are going to hopefully help us see that that is a good model where people are working together. Because I, I, politically, I don't think we're ever going to you know, maybe get rid of the idea that people are offended by the police and their use of force. It's just we can't explain it. That's the problem from our side. And, and and what I think is great about this is, and hopefully this can be the next show or moving forward when we get into the visual realm on this podcast, if Bob can present to us what he's talking about with these dashboards and things like that, you say dashboard to people and they immediately gloss over on you. Cause it's like, that's like an Excel thing. Right. And you're like, well, it's <laughs> way bigger than that. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I'm going to be honest with you. Like folks should be really eating this stuff up that are into learning about police and the police work, because so much of what happens is we spend money on is based upon emotion and not facts, or at least data that we can try to figure out what's going on with that. And as you can see, it's not going to be something that will lead to a national police force. Like a lot of police officers freak out about like, Oh my God, if we start doing this, that's a slippery slope towards we're all going to work for whoever it is out of Washington, DC. It's like, no, it's, it's just, it's impossible. That's impossible for, uh, you know, uh, the expanse of the United States. And, and, and like I said, look to the Northwest right now for a lot of good things that are coming out of there, at least from this level of collecting information. Now uh, we've talked about Ohio and it's good use of, uh, you know, protecting first responders and their wellness, I would clearly say, wouldn't you, Scott, that Washington is a state that you can look to for helping to clear the air on a lot of these things. And they've been, they've had some very, very controversial oh, yeah. things yeah. happen out there. Um, and then that's, and then that, on that note, we've been at it about an hour. And uh, again, uh, uh, Bobby Stats is just killing it, just knocking it out of the park, <laughs> keeping us going, doing a great job. His company's doing great. Uh, please look them up. It's Police Strategy. It's Police Strategies, LLC. It's pretty simple. You just put that in a Google search engine. I don't know if Google's a sponsor of ours yet or not. but um, they, A search uh, engine of your choice. A search engine of your choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you'll find that and get to the website. You'll see the players on there, and it's really good stuff. And, and we need, obviously, more of those folks helping us like this. 
Um, Scotty, you want to take that show? You want me to run with it? Big Uncle Chris is uh, is gone. Uh, well, with a scratchy voice. You know, let me. I, yeah, I had to like, I had to like, get ready a little bit. Put me on the spot. I'm still, yeah, you know, totally about that. Um, yeah. Uh, again, thanks, thanks, Bob. Uh, lots of great information again today, and and good stuff out there for for people in the law enforcement field. So as always, uh, if you have questions for us um, would like to reach out to us have questions about this show questions about anyone that we have on the show our guests please feel free to do that at three cops talk at gmail.com that's the number three cops talk at gmail.com we love your questions and feedback and as well on our website three cops talk.com that's the number three cops talk.com bob you got anything you want to plug real quick on your end uh, people can get a hold of you if they're looking for it no, no, just just being on Three Cops Talk is enough. Plug for me. <laughs> all right, yeah. folks, we'll have a good one. We'll have him back. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>